Hello there. Welcome to a new episode of the Liberators Network podcast. I'm Christian Verwijs and today we're going to talk about value. Or better said, a way to think about value that can also start powerful conversations within your team and especially your stakeholders. Now the reason we're making this episode has everything to do with a big update that we released last week in our Scrum Team survey. It's now possible to also invite your stakeholders to give their perspective on how your Scrum Team is doing. And we always think that involving your stakeholders is one of the best ways to improve how you're working with Scrum. It's one of the best ways to avoid zombie Scrum or to recover from it. And while it may be hard initially, building those connections with your stakeholders and starting those conversations is really powerful. So this episode is one way to start that conversation. And to help you with that, we've also created some supporting content that you can download from the show notes that I will also mention later in the episode. I also want to take a short moment to thank four new patrons who joined since our most recent episode. Stephen Kutla, Sean Evans, Theresa Lankes and Anurag Sharma. Thank you so much for supporting us and making it possible for Barry and me to create this content in a sustainable manner and to keep it free. I'll also add a link in the show notes if you're willing to support us too at patreon.com, which is always awesome and we're very thankful for your support if you have it. Now let's move into the episode. Enjoy! The Scrum Framework exists to deliver value to stakeholders sooner. Sounds good, right? But... When is something valuable? For something that seems so central to Scrum, there is actually remarkably little guidance on what value means. And we fear that it remains nothing but a word if there is no meaningful definition for it by Scrum teams. So in this episode, we offer a more fine-grained approach to understand what value could mean for your product and the items on your product backlog, and most importantly, to start a conversation around that with your team and its stakeholders. Now it's also good to mention that this blog post episode is a revisit of one of our most popular blog posts. And by revisiting this post, we give you our current understanding of this topic, some fresh perspectives, but there's also a nice full-size poster that you can download as a PDF. And we even created a fully prepared do-it-yourself workshop to start these conversations around value with your stakeholders. You can find all the links for this in the show notes. Maximizing value in Scrum. In the Scrum framework, it is important for Scrum teams to deliver a valuable increment as frequently as they can, at least once per sprint. Each increment brings the team and its stakeholders one step closer to a valuable product goal. Without this, it is difficult to learn about what else is needed and to reduce the risk of complex work. The product owner is responsible for maximizing the value of the work done by developers. And while that sounds like a great idea, what does that actually mean in the real world? How can you state with certainty that value was delivered by your scrum team? What would you need to observe or see happening? What does maximizing value actually mean in terms of behavior and the decisions that you make as a scrum team or as a product owner? How does the product goal actually inform you about what is valuable? And finally, how does a scrum team decide which items on the product backlog are more valuable than others? What do they actually base these decisions on? Now these questions are difficult to answer. 
The Scrum Guide cleverly stays out of defining value and argues that it depends on the context and the stakeholders for which work is done. But how can a Scrum team be effective when they lack a working definition of value? We can easily imagine a Scrum team that works through their sprints perfectly, delivers high quality increments to their stakeholders every sp sprint, but does not actually deliver anything of value. In fact, this is what we often see in cases of zombie scrum. Although everyone goes through the motions of scrum, there is nothing of value at the end. So just doing scrum is not going to magically result in value. Let's look at three perspectives to understand value better. Value and stakeholders. Whenever the Scrum framework talks about value, it refers to transactions between the Scrum team and its stakeholders. In other words, something can only be valuable when it's delivered to and validated by stakeholders. Until then, it is nothing but a hypothetical assumption. As we wrote about in another blog post, which, for which I will include a link in the show notes, stakeholders are the people with an actual stake in the product not the people who merely relay or proxy needs they don't personally have. Stakeholders stand to gain when the work that the Scrum team delivers is valuable, and they lose when the team doesn't. So while the people that actively use your product or invest in its development with their money are probably your stakeholders, your colleague from the marketing department probably isn't. While your colleague may have a useful opinion about your product and you may want to involve them on how to market it, he or she probably doesn't use it nor invest in its development, so they are not technically your stakeholders. This gives us one important insight. We need to look at value from the perspective of the transactions that happen between actual stakeholders and scrum teams. This also highlights one of the challenges that scrum teams in large organizations often face. Their actual stakeholders are often hidden behind layers of organizational fat, and the question of what is valuable is often ignored altogether, and thus the focus shifts to getting as much work done as possible, without actually regarding how valuable that work is in the first place. Value and Longevity This perspective on the transactions between stakeholders and scrum teams also draws attention to the sustainability of future transactions. After all, if a scrum team gives all their work away for free, they or their product won't be around for long, at least probably not. Similarly, the budget probably doesn't allow a team to answer any potential need from stakeholders. This is obviously more of a concern for stakeholders that invest in the development of a product than for those primarily using it. But ultimately, both groups of stakeholders benefit from sustainable development. This aspect of longevity and sustainability is why business value may be more accurate than just value, even though the Scrum Guide talks exclusively about value. A common definition of business value is that it includes all forms of value that determine the health and well-being of the firm in the long run. This perspective on longevity also explains why the new Scrum Guide in 2020 formalized a singular product goal to bring focus to the development over a larger number of sprints. It's entirely likely that there will be many more needs from stakeholders than can or should be addressed, and the product goal offers teams a touchstone to base their decisions on about what is valuable and what isn't, at least not for now. 
A particular stakeholder need may be incredibly useful, but if it doesn't align with this protocol, it simply isn't valuable enough to spend time on that could have been spent on more valuable items instead. Now all of these considerations are still abstract. It will not help us when we get into the nitty gritty details of setting up a product backlog and determining the business value of every item on it. So how can you determine if something on the product backlog is the right stuff or when it is the wrong stuff? Five types of value. With this in mind, meaning the stakeholders perspective and the longevity perspective, we went ahead and analyzed the product backlogs for commercial products that we've developed with scrum teams ourselves. We categorized the items into separate types of value and ended up with five categories that seem to describe most cases quite well, and we'll discuss these in no particular order now. It's also good to note that our personal experience lies mostly with commercial organizations. So most of the examples will be from there as well. Not all types may be equally relevant to non-commercial organizations, especially commercial value. But even for a non-commercial organization, it can still make sense to look at items from an economic perspective. Let's start with the first type of value that we identified, which we call commercial value. This is in a way the most direct type of value, and it consists of all the items on a product backlog that directly generate revenue for the organization that develops the product. When all other things are kept equal, the work should result in a net profit somehow. For example, an item generates commercial value when, upon its delivery, customers pay to acquire it. This could be a new version of your product, a new feature, or an unlockable add-on. It could also be a new bit of paid downloadable content, a new product in your webshop, or something else that customers pay for directly. Although there may be some layers between the delivery and the payment, we like to think about these items as the lines that appear on an invoice that is sent to a customer. The key question to ask here is, with the product goal in mind, how does this item on our product backlog increase our revenue or profit? The easier it is to answer this question for that item, the more clearly it delivers commercial value. If it, earns, if it turns out to be very hard to put a finger on it, you may be dealing with another kind of value, and then maybe one of the other types is more relevant to you. Or the item may not be valuable at all, and you can remove it. The second category we identified is efficiency value. Not all the items on the product backlog will generate revenue directly, but items can also influence profit directly by decreasing the costs of production, of maintenance and delivery. These are the items that represent work that simplifies, automates, reduces or smoothens other work that happens for the product. It makes other work more efficient. In economic terms, these are the items that improve your cost efficiency by spending less money for the same amount of value that is delivered to stakeholders. Or, if you're not a commercial venture, how much time it saves you in general. This is what we call efficiency value. For example, if a change to the code base allows you to run the same product with fewer servers, you are generating efficiency value but it can also involve the automation or the simplification of tedious and repetitive tasks that are necessary for the development, operation or delivery of your product. For one of the products that we help develop, 
we actually had items on our product backlog to reduce the time needed to set up the product at a customer site. Although that item in itself did not generate any money, it did save us and the customer money in the end. More indirectly, items can also reduce work elsewhere and thereby reduce costs. For example, when an item on your product backlog increases the stability of your application and thereby offloads the help desk from a significant number of calls every week. For each item on your product backlog, the key question to ask is, with the product goal in mind, how does this item save us money or time? If this is not clearly the case, you may be dealing with another type of value, or maybe the item is not valuable at all, and you need to remove it. The third type of value is market value. A product is only as successful as the number of potential users and customers that are aware of it. And more often than not, product development involves a lot of work to increase this awareness, to move into new markets, or to distinguish from competing products. This work represents market value. Marketing activities are obviously a good example of this kind of work. For example, this could be the setup and copywriting for a simple website that promotes your product, or starting a marketing campaign on LinkedIn. Even writing a blog post, recording a podcast or video would be market value from this perspective, as long as it is primarily concerned with creating awareness for your product. From a software development perspective, market value could also be the porting of an application to other platforms so that more people can use it and you basically move into new markets, or adding features to appeal to a new group of customers that these customers don't directly pay for. For each item on your product backlog, the key question to ask is, with the product goal in mind, how does this item allow us to attract more users or customers? If it is difficult to answer that question, you may be dealing with another kind of value, or the item may not be valuable at all, and you need to remove it. And that brings us to the fourth category of value that we call customer value. Even when your product is generating revenue, has high cost efficiency and is well known to users, it is still hard to be successful when customers don't stick around or when they switch to a competitor the first opportunity they get. So there is value in work that makes your product more useful and valuable to its customers. This effectively increases the stickiness of your product as Eric Ries calls it in the Lean Startup. This is what we consider customer value. User experience optimization is a good example of work in this category, and this happens when you make your product easier to use and understand, less prone to errors, and more suited to the task that the user sets out to perform with it. But it also includes the implementation of features that customers don't directly pay for, but are there because it is commonly requested and keeps them invested in your product. For each item on the product backlog, the key question to ask here is, with the product goal in mind, how does this item increase the likelihood that a customer continues to use our product? If it's hard to answer this question, you may be dealing with another type of value, or the item is not valuable at all and you need to remove it. And that brings us to the final category that we identified, but by no means the least important one. It's the category we call future value. This is the category that involves all the work that's on your product backlog that doesn't deliver any clear kind of value upon completion, but might cause 
huge problems or significant costs in the near future when you don't do it. These items are future value. Research and innovation are good examples of work in this category. Sometimes you just need to research alternative technical solutions to a problem that you're facing with your current stack. Or you want to improve the practices and processes of your team and you simply need to spend time learning. The reduction of technical debt is also a good example of work in this category. Technical debt consists of all the shortcuts and the quick fixes that were applied to the product before, often in a pinch or a stressful moment, that may have worked or resolved the situation then, but are causing huge problems now. For example, automated tests may be missing in some important parts of the code, performance may be horrible in one area of your product, or documentation was never updated so people are always confused about what's where, or chunks of code have spaghettified to the point that developers don't even dare to touch it, afraid that it might all collapse like a Jenga tower of code. While it might be tempting to remove this kind of work from the product backlog, which sometimes happens, these items could represent hedges against future disasters. Even though the future remains largely unknown, and we should always keep that firmly in mind, some of these hedges may still be wise to keep around, even when they don't immediately deliver value. So for each item on your product backlog, the question to ask here is, with the product goal in mind, how does this item save us money or time in the future? If you can't clearly answer this question for an item, you may be dealing with another kind of value. Or, if it's not, or maybe the item isn't valuable at all and you should remove it. A good product backlog should only have a few of these items and not too many because otherwise you're planning too far ahead into the future and you're probably doing a lot of work that may never be necessary. Now, what about compliance? When we first shared these five types of value, this taxonomy, one of the most common questions was how do you deal with compliance or work on your product backlog that is basically about compliance? Shouldn't we add compliance value to be its own type as some people suggested? Now we struggled with that question then and we still do now. Our concern here is that compliance is not really valuable in and of itself, rather it is a means to an end that hopefully is valuable. For example, when a customer demands compliance to a protocol and they pay for it, it is clearly commercial value. If a customer doesn't pay for it, but they still get it to keep them on board, it is customer value or market value. If the compliance involves security or hardening, it is done to prevent damage caused by potential security breaches, and that makes it a good example of future value. We've seen too many examples where compliance is followed for the sake of compliance, which in turn caused significant costs, decreased efficiency and made it harder to release. While all of that was justified in some cases where this happened, it certainly wasn't in others. So to avoid this, we encourage you to dig deeper than just the compliancy and determine why that compliancy is so valuable. Furthermore, we feel that compliancy is better suited for a definition of done. Unless you're talking about specific features or functionality, most compliancy actually consists of quality guidelines, and that's what the definition of done is for precisely. Start a conversation about value with your stakeholders. The five types we share in this episode, this taxonomy that we created, is certainly not complete. 
the various types of value overlap in several ways and some items may not fall clearly into any type yet still be valuable. But all of that is besides the point. The point is that you should have a conversation with your team and your stakeholders about what makes each item of your product backlog valuable. For items where you can easily categorize them into one or more of these types, you're probably dealing with something valuable. But if you can't, your team and especially your product owner needs to have an exceptionally compelling reason for why it is still on the product backlog. After all, how does a product owner maximize the value of the work done by the Scrum team by keeping items around that are seemingly non-valuable? We hope that this episode inspired you to start a conversation around value with your stakeholders and to make purposeful decisions about what to keep on your product backlog and what to remove. If you want, there's a helpful poster that we created for you that you can download from the show notes. And we also prepared a string of liberating structures to talk about value in a structured way with your stakeholders and your team. And you can get that one from the show notes as well. And that's it for this week's episode. I hope you learned something new about the five types of value and most importantly, how to start that conversation with your team and its stakeholders. If you liked today's episode, please like it or rate it or review it on the platform that you're listening on. And we're always happy if you can share it with other people, in particular product owners and stakeholders who may also be interested in this episode. Now, as we always say in every episode, this content, this episode, but all the other content that we create is made possible by our patrons, our supporters. We have 440 patrons right now, and that's completely amazing. Thank you all for supporting us. If you're listening to this episode and you're not a supporter yet, please consider becoming one as well, because it makes it possible for Barry and me to create more content like this in a sustainable manner and also keep it free, which is important for us. So if you like the content that we create, please consider becoming a patron too. You can go to patreon.com liberators to see the options there. You get all sorts of nice benefits in return for your support. Having said all that, I want to wish you a great day and I hope to see you again for next week's episode. Take care.